Welcome to the Marxist Think Tank podcast, an attempt to look at the world from a class-conscious perspective and to build. This week, the first of a multi-part series, we begin exploring stories of clandestine activities that occurred in the context of the Contra-Sandinista conflict. But first, a look at headlines across the world. Canada has witnessed a complete shutdown of its railway network. Protests started when the Wet'suwet'en people were pushed off of their land in order to build a natural gas pipeline. In solidarity, other indigenous Canadian people throughout the country have begun to block railway lines and bridges and hold major protests. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has held meetings with his cabinet on how to deal with the blockades. Canadian cities are facing shortages as a result with shipments of chlorine and propane stopped. Some regional leaders have urged an end to the blockades, some by any means necessary. Political turmoil continues in the United States of America. This week, the Department of Justice was rocked when Roger Stone, a lobbyist close to President Trump, had his sentence reduced, apparently after the president had complained. This has led to a growing call for the Attorney General to resign. Meanwhile, the Democrats are facing controversy in their own ranks as billionaire Mike Bloomberg attempts to use his wealth to influence the election. Global centrist politician Bernie Sanders has so far won two of the Democrats' primary caucuses. But this is generating a backlash in the generally conservative country. Detroit is fighting class action lawsuits from former renters in the city. The Coalition for Property Tax Justice says that they are levying the lawsuit due to unjust foreclosures. The lawsuit claims that residents were overtaxed by up to $6 million, leading to a foreclosure crisis. The city of Detroit is 80% African American and 40% of the population lives in poverty. The lawsuit claims that overpaying taxes was a way to speed up gentrification in the city. And the UK's Met Office is opting to make its most accurate computer yet. At a cost of £1.2 billion, it will be the most accurate meteorological computer in service. The computer will be able to handle more data than ever before. The computer will process more than 200 billion observations from satellites across the world. The Met Office believes that it will lead to better forecasting in the long run, which will help alert citizens of natural disasters. And now we will begin the first part of our interview series. Well, my, my first day of school, they burned the Iranian flag. And, of course, the same time that I had crossed the picket line for uh, the Baki, uh, Pell Grant and, and College Grant situation. So, and, of course, uh, the fraternities, brothers in University of Washington were upset. And, unfortunately, I looked... Iranian, and they chased me down and tried to fight me, and I kept telling them I was Hispanic, not Iranian. That's how college goes. I just thought that was part of college. I didn't realize that was not a normal situation, but we're talking your first day. Uh, I worked a sports desk, and every afternoon, Persians would walk by me saying that there's an, a guy from Iran that looked identical to me, and I never believed it. And they said when he gets to town that they would bring him to see me, and they did, and this guy was my twin brother. He did look like me. 
And uh, I understand this is just oil politics. I felt very bad when they got extradited. Goodbye to them as they had to leave the University of Washington and got exited from the United States. Iranian immigration into this country by refusing new visas to Iranian citizens. That started with 13 plants in Capitol Hill. This guy I know needed a place to keep them, and me and uh, my girlfriend at the time had a house we lived in, and we didn't know what, anything about pot. We said, sure, it's some harmless plant. And so uh, we started growing them for them, and the next thing we know, it just became to be a very large-scale operation that made money. And fortunately, I was allergic to pot, so I had to outsource most of it and find places and people to do it for me because I couldn't be around it for large uh, amounts of time or live or breathe it in the environment very long. But I did manage to, to hook up with people that did large purchases, and so I didn't have to be too involved in too much of it in that respect and still receive profits. Had the opportunity to work with Chinese Tong, and and we worked together, and we got trust going on. I learned to speak enough Cantonese to to get me some some Chinatown street credibility. And so, uh, at that time, uh, the Chinese had a connection. It was Colombian, and uh, they didn't have a way somebody that could be intermediary between the Chinese Tong and the Columbian cartel. And there I was. I was perfect, perfectly in the middle. It's really rare to find somebody that was, you know, a Hispanic, that's very familiar with the tong, Chinese tongue, that had their trust, and, 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 and the understanding of both cultures. The Colombians caught uh, wind of, of this thing, or they'd started purchasing it, and they really loved it. They really sincerely loved it. And I had heard about them. This is a, my friends from Miami really, really love it. They're going to be in town in a week, and we have anything available, and I would try to make sure it was. And they'd pay high retail. Colombians bought. They paid these people to meet whoever had the pot. It was a novelty, and they paid very, very large sums at, at retail prices for it without a problem. I think that was one way that they were laundering their money. They is a Kali cartel. So the Kali cartel was a link that was put together between the Chinese um, here in Seattle had a tongue and being able to speak some mild Chinese and street Chinese, I was an interpreter for large scale negotiations between the Colombians and the Chinese. It was not a juggle for me. It was a natural environment. And it, and it was it was really an advantageous situation for both of them. Being Latino, here's how it works. If you're in a place like Seattle or Vancouver, the Latino population was so small that if you're Cuban or Colombian, you basically were the same. Cubans... The Cubans were, were really the first beginning of the whole Latino 
express alcohol. The affiliation with them, I, to this day, I'm certain had government links. And it was, it was kind of heartbreaking to see how they got dissolved and disrespected in a lot of ways. Uh, the refugees were here, and some were good and some weren't, you know. And, and for all that, some of those criminals go. But I, I do think there was moles. Oh, because the uh, Cubans would always complain of, of how pissed off they were because the Colombians expected them to do all these favors for them all the time because Colombians were the new guys on the block. Cubans were the old guys on the block. And what I mean is the Cubans were here in 1980 during the Cuban, Cuban Magalito camp thing. And, and uh, Colombians didn't come to like 82 or 83. But the Colombians came on strong. They came on with business ownerships. It was really incredible how strong they came on. They didn't start the bottom up. And they were driving brand new Mercedes. They are, they're coming into town with brand new Mercedes, owning restaurants, owning shoe stores, owning things. And you were like, wait a minute here. And you, nobody got to really meet them. And when you did, it was some guy, Latino guy, that was very well-groomed. With, with a white suit on and, and, and drove a brand new Mercedes and he's a really crisp, kind of clean, tight kind of person that had a basic education. You were just like, wait a minute. The level was quite different than the Cuban. The Cuban Magalito was rough around the edges and they were good people though. Good people. Before you even were a courier for the cartel, if you got that as a responsibility, they would sit you down with a lawyer of your choice and make sure that every single warrant that you had, every single thing that you could possibly have that could cause a snag was paid for. They bought you new clothes. They bought you an apartment. I called it Colombian welfare. Kind of sarcastic, and I hope I don't offend the Cali cartel by that, but they really did take care. All these things are in place. All you have to do is just be able to not ask questions. I think the funniest thing I've ever heard him say was office information. Whenever you ask a question they like, they say office information. That was really fun way of saying none of your business. Tell you that you're going to be, you're going to fly yourself to, for example, Venice Beach, California, and you're going to be in a certain hotel, and in that hotel, you'll wait for a phone call. And when you get that phone call, which, like, it seems it's never going to come, when you get that phone call, they'll tell you the next thing now, to do. Now, th this is really important because if I knew too much, then I'm, then, I, then, then I'm not saying too much. It wouldn't be real. You don't know anything. Kali Cartel is about vagueness. It was everything's a cellular unit. No one person knew what the other person did. And if you did run into the same person more than five times, it was usually a mule. Mules were consistent, but mob bosses weren't. The only thing that you could do is certain, you knew you're working with certain people. They really don't like you knowing their, their business. And I really like not knowing their business. Um, the, the baseline to their survival was the least you know, the least you could be hurt with. Um, one thing that I had was 
kilos were stamped. And if you had some with a crown on it, it was called La Reina, and that was the best. If it had a stamp of a gold crown on it, you're as high up as you were going to get. And I used to save those stamps. They're probably somewhere around in my life, but I don't know where they're at. That stamp was status. One thing leads to another, and the Colombians are giving you parcels and packages and paying you for small little errands or big errands. And these errands would then give you a, a, a ability for trading up to a higher position. And so you never knew everything with the Kali Cartel. Everything was a sale. So I had a code name, and they had a code name, and they would call you on your pager, and you would answer it, and they would meet you at a certain location, and you may not be facing the person that you even have ever met or know that well, and they will hand you a duffel bag with, with product in it, and they'll tell you this has to be available at a parked car somewhere in the city. Cash, they wanted you to know what it was, because if there's a dollar missing, they had they had to have enough trust to be either kidnap your family or you if you lost the money. Product, they didn't give a crap about it, even if it, there was some missing. One of the big ties that I thought that they had that, that was something was an airline, TWA, Transworld Airlines, was their huge connection. And that no longer exists anymore. And... Um, that was a very effective way of transporting stuff. And, and I was very surprised that the real connection that I had was TW Airlines. It was the ability to take product from one part of an international flight safely to another international flight. And that was king. King of the air was king of the game. Whoever ruled the air ruled the game. If you were king of the air and you had control of the airline, you were the king of the game. And yes, we used to pack those luggages full of stuff and we would just take Vaseline and buy pounds and pounds and pounds of black pepper. Dogs couldn't smell it and it went in and it was fine. It wouldn't work that way nowadays. No, they they always stayed away and they did their thing. We did ours. Remember, everything is a cellular unit. Unit. Why I know the TWA is because when things got comfortable and people started drinking or get their edge started getting off, they would get jealous. They say, "Ah, that person. The only reason why they're so big is because their father is a pilot for TWA and he could get the stuff on. Otherwise, that idiot wouldn't have anything going on. Stuff like that you kind of pick up on." Um, you know, I, I, I just happened to be at the right place at the right time, or maybe the wrong place at the wrong time, but I spoke enough Cantonese and enough Spanish to be a perfect link. Perfect link. Kidnapping-wise, the Colombians gave me orders to pick a, a person from the, pick up a person from the airport. 
and the orders were to pick this person up who was extremely high in the cartel, extremely high, a money courier, strictly money courier, millions of dollars, to pick him up at a certain time from a certain airline. And I couldn't know his name, but he had yellow shoestrings. And that's all I was to know. And I'm like, what? Yellow shoestrings? That's my information? So, of course, I'm like, this is that vague bullshit and ambiguous bullshit that Clemens give me as a duty for to, to pay off their little debts that I owed him, this and that. And I would do it. So I go down there with crews, people with me, and the only person that came off the airline was this Jamaican guy from Florida, from Miami. And he had yellow shoestrings, so he had to be our guy. So he didn't want to go with us. So, of course, in actually an international airport, we had to kidnap the guy, bring him all the way to the hotel room where the Clemens were, release him, and they go, no, that's not our guy. Who the fuck is this? I'm like, what? I just, no way. This guy was so third world of a Jamaican, God bless his soul. He didn't know what to think of it. I gave him cash. Here's $2,000, sorry, sorry, sorry. Unruffle his feathers. And he was just, he didn't know if it was a lucky day or if it was the worst day of his life. But he had yellow shoestrings. He says, no, there's another flight coming in at one in the morning. Go back there. I'm like, okay, now I'm going to be worried about the FBI because I just kidnapped somebody against their will, which is not my style. Believe me, this is not my style. This time, it's he's going to have uh, yellow shoestrings and he's going to have a black jacket on. I'm like, man, you know, there's nobody fitting that description whatsoever. Should I just grab somebody close? Ain't that retarded? So I don't. Well, it turns out the third flight, we wait for the guy, and he's a very young guy, and he's related to the cartel family, and he's a blood relative, and he's a completely inebriatedly drunk and very irresponsible. I'm later to find out that was his M.O., drunk and irresponsible. One thing I loved about the guy was if you walked behind him, he would always be dropping like packs of $1,000 bills. So it was really fun to collect money as he was dropping it all over the place because he's so drunk he didn't know up and down. He was just really highly irresponsible. Um, he ended up opening his own business in Miami and I hope he's doing well. Um, that kind of Behavior is how things falter. And that's why you'd have to be related to Columbians to be alive to get away with that because they made sure you did not drink. You did not. They really had a clean act going. Uh, your appearance, I didn't think they have it down. I think they're too much flash. I remember they used to say I dress like shit, take me to a very high-end store and give me a complete Giorgio Armani suit and gold chains and all that. And I go, that's how they get that look. That's how they get that look. 
I chose a different look, and I felt that if they always asked us where we were from, most of the Colombians that worked for me and part of that cartel would say they're from Santa Fe. Kind of a little classy place, but not overdressed. It was absolute fun. It was risky business. Want me a brand new Porsche? Nobody on University of Washington campus had a brand new Porsche except some very wealthy elite families, Nordstroms and, and people like that on campus. And you're driving the same car they are and you're paid off cash. Boys are brand new Porsche 928s, uh, Mercedes 450SLs, gold-plated everything, just go gold-plated. Going into Rodeo Drive and buying all the clothes you want. And, uh, uh, renting three Corvette brand new convertibles and a Rolls Royce convertible all at the same time at the same place and have each one of your people driving a different car, walking in the nightclubs and buying drinks for everybody. And, but there were some very, very amazing moments, but there was no, back in the early 80s, there was no really hardcore drug addicts. These were people that drove up in really Porsches and and had nice homes, and it was a glamour type of situation. When we went, while well, myself with the big toys went on and on and on, which was uh, no frontal cortex thinking about the future, and, until I bought a, I used to rent hotels and stuff, until I just bought my own place that I could make my own hotel. Um, the, the purpose of the business of contraband was about really most of the most successful endeavors in that business were very, very boring. A very rich movie star, somebody would want to buy a large amount of stuff for a party or to stockpile, and that exchange would be done and the profits would be made and there would be that and it'd be done and over with and nobody got hurt and you got to buy you a new Porsche out of it or a Ferrari, whatever you want. Or lure of my attraction to being involved was that integrity you were you, you were you weren't really doing a crime you were like uh james bond you had a code name and you're going to meet somewhere in europe and they're going to hand you this briefcase and you're going to take this briefcase and you're going to hand it to another guy and he's going to hand you a package and then you're going to take that package and you're going to wait a month or two and you're going to drop it off in some hotel room Showing off a little bit too much was a problem. Um, drug use wasn't really condoned. Kali Cartel really did, does not look up on that at all because then you're, it, it's a demeaning area. They try to demean you by that. They have that taken care of. Uh, most of this stuff went to really wealthy people and distributed to those people that could afford it. You didn't get to see victims of... of, of what this did to people. Although it always does have that effect at that time. Problem uh, that happens and, and trying to resolve the politics of contraband with Latinos was very hard to do. Uh, mixed messages, jealousy, women, all cause problems. A lot of it has to be with women. A lot of mistrust with women. Uh, letting some girl in and, and letting her, you know, exploit 
you know, you think you're, you're a big shot. A lot of these Clemens have that big shot. The same woman would go over to another Clemens guy, do the same thing, and they'd end up fighting uh, over the, the amounts of money. I noticed the devil entered the minds of people when they hit the million-dollar cash mark. I've seen them get evil. I've seen the greediness, and um, things start faltering at the million-dollar mark. They also robbed me one time. They uh, had large shipment in my house, and then sent me down the street to go get some burgers, and then said everything got robbed, it's missing. I'm like, wait a minute. And so I had to pay off. I've paid off million dollars in debts, and they love you to be in debt because you'll be their free slave forever. But, but I had the fortune of my neighbor saying, hey, that Columbia guy that comes to visit you crawled through your bathroom window when you left the house to go get those burgers. So I know that that happened. We'll just let you misappropriate funds and then once you got yourself in a debt like that you owed them money and you couldn't pull yourself out of it but i knew better than that until robberies happened and they were inside Colombians robbed their own stuff back from me they actually robbed their own you stuff always kept you tied in the thing you out they found clever ways of getting you hooked uh into their their bullshit somebody's you know, situation would be bad. Uh, I only had two hits ever taken out on my shipments, and they cost me dearly. And, and you have to relocate where you live, and all the trailings that happen with the DEA and the lawyers you have to pay, and unwinding those problems. Uh, Colombians, if you ended up in trouble, I've only been kidnapped twice or held against my will till things uh, were figured out. Um, well, we all know the Colombians are famous for kidnapping, okay? That's their game. That's I have been kidnapped before against my will. I had to have my brother come all the way to L.A. and, and give them $19,000 to get to release me. And that was during the dry spell. And that money, it takes a while to make it up, but you can, and I did. Um, people who robbed shipments broke away to do their own thing and try to sell drugs on the streets and they usually ended up with that large amount wrapped up and in jail and ended up a problem further than the robbery they actually would become an informant Colombians never had gunfights never had to go to that because they don't like heat you one gunfight would cost them more money and more heat than it's worth to get the lawyer to unwind it some of these crimes are, are just victim and when you have a victim, you have a crime, you have a problem. So you had to control the heat. Kudos to the Colombians because they didn't like problems. If they had to do an assassin somebody, just give them too much acid and, and their brain would be knocked out, but they would never be dead. They just fry their brain for life. Their hitmen were, were pretty well known. Um, you would probably meet one or two in your life and threatened by them if you misappropriated over a million dollars, which I didn't do that often, but it happens.
start uh, threatening to kill me because uh, whatever reasons, and I just took bagfuls of money in L.A. and just uh, drove down the street in a Rolls-Royce convertible and start throwing money in the air in the convertible Rolls-Royce till the Colombians begged me to stop. I go, well, if you're going to kill me anyways, what's it matter? That one worked really well with them, and it was really fun, and it wasn't my money anyways, and they're going to kill me anyways. Well, then that's what I was going to do. So they really retreated, and they loved that one. They thought that had a little bit of swagger, and uh, they instead of firing me or shooting me, they actually dressed me well and gave me put me up a notch. They got what I was talking about. A lot of their uh, discrepancies that I felt the Colombians didn't understand was is that Security is expensive, and when you're renting five, six, seven different apartments and loading kilos in them and money, crates and crates of money in different cities and different locations and keeping up with that, those are costs. It's not free for me to do that, to keep their money and their product um, and, and keeping it secret, but they never wanted to pay the bill, so they call that stolen money and misappropriated funds, which I know that Walmart and JCPenney's and stores that, that have shrinkage have a higher percentage loss than I did working for the Colombian cartel. And when they had their bookkeepers review my losses, in which were in the millions, they wanted to kill me for those millions. But when they realized that we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars were exchanged. I think the percentage was less than 2% loss. So I had to get a smart bookkeeper to present myself to defend my life that really the millions that were misappropriated weren't. They were costs. And uh, my percentage of loss was less than most retail businesses. And to them, they if they were stupid and not smart enough to understand this it had a hard time penetrating them so you had to find a very very high-end mob related bookkeeper to defend you and it was have my defense and you have to pay couriers what are you gonna do pay them in drugs I mean you're hiring people that don't do drugs so what am I gonna pay them with I have to pay them with cash I have to check them out I have to pay for the lawyer to, to pay to make sure they have no traffic tickets and to look their background up, just like they I was taught to look my background up. These are all costs. The Colombians weren't paying. I don't know where their common sense is or what. And they says they don't want to know. And they start stuttering, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to know nothing. Well, if you're going to kill me, but you don't want to know, I don't understand it. So you're being held hostage against your will. And I yes, I'm a sweet talker. But there's, shit only flies so far before they think you're either suicidal and you want to get killed or you're just outright stupid. And they ask you these questions. But, you know, the real truth is, is they want to see if you're going to be a rat or if you're going to scream for your life. And when you don't do either of those two, you go up several ranks. Sometimes they think, oh, this guy thinks this is a joke. And the way they prove that is by killing somebody in front of you and stuff. And fortunately, I've never had to deal with that, ever. But there has been kidnappings and missing people. And um, I don't know if you'll ever see them again or I'll ever see them again. Or... 
washing money, laundry money, uh, uh, is, is, it's, a, it's um, I call it tic-tac-toe. And being able to shuffle funds, uh, some people do it through exchanging funds for goods. Um, that works really, really well if you're willing to take the losses. Uh, 75 cents to the dollar is a, a bad figure. I could, I can get, um, I can get everything but 20%. That you're going to have to have some loss. Uh, if you're below $9,900 at a uh, transaction, you're going to be pretty safe. Uh, you can drive from state to state back in the day, from bank to bank, deposit $9,900 to different Columbia offshore accounts. Yeah, I crossed the border, but never with anything that got me in trouble except for carrying money. And that's an easy thing to do. You just go buy you a watch uh, in Zurich. Switzerland, it's worth a couple hundred thousand dollars and you put it on your arm and you cross the border and then you sell it for pennies on the dollar here in the United States and you just laundered money and you got away with it and nobody's seen anything. It's a joke. You bought a Piaget or you bought an Audemars Piaget or Petit Philippe and they didn't really look at it. They, the customs was not that on top of the game. Very wealthy people who were actually born... Uh, fortunate and I knew that they had such large sums of cash in the bank that all that I have to do with have them say they wrote me a check or gave me the money not it wasn't a ledger it was not in check they gave me the money and that's why I had it in my hand so when the um, DEA would fly in the last helicopter and pull me over in LA and I'd have bags of money and they'd take it away I would just use my legitimate wealthy friends to say they gave me the money as a as a gift and get that money right back to me counted bill by bill in hundreds of thousands if you, that was that was what i call penal, uh, penalty work for the colombians laundering their money was penalty work if you lost money because you got robbed or you misappropriated funds then you um you got punished by having to launder their money, and that was too bad because you ever got caught. You really basically would go to jail for for something you didn't get paid for. You really, you you were doing something. They call that easy work. I call that the hardest work in the world. Is is watching somebody else's big amounts of money that you never even got paid a dollar for. It was kept you tied in the thing. You out. They found clever ways of getting you hooked. Uh, into their their bullshit. Los Angeles, all the areas that they dealt with, um, I never ever encompassed anything inland. Nothing ever was done inland. It was always coastal cities for some reason. I don't know. Um, it just always was coastal cities. L.A. was a big hub. L.A. was a big hub. Nothing, man. Out in the middle open of everybody on Venice Beach. Next to a, a payphone in the sand 
where we'd have to sleep on the beach to answer the damn thing because that was our next instructions. Extremely vague. Almost like you're being fooled. It would be ridiculous to do these things, um, and yet they did it. We didn't really have cell phones with cameras then and everything. We used pagers. It was the early days. Payphone, because if you miss that call, then you don't know what else is going to happen. You just invested your time and money to be here in L.A. when you're not from that city. Venice Beach, really close to Electric Avenue, actually. Um, one of the uh, members had a house that was very close by, for whatever reason. Um, and her father was a DE agent, um, which we well knew of. So probably, probably we were thinking we were covered, but we weren't. I'll never know, and I don't want to know. Coming my ways because I have a specific code name. I won't say it, but I have a code name. And that code name I have sticks wherever I go, no matter where, whether it be Spain, whether it be Miami, whether it be. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, these soldiers land a, a helicopter. Helicopter that landed at the beach. Itself? Yep. Oh, on the beach. Yep. There's no landing pad. On the beach. Running out with duffel bags. Give you your code broad name daylight. and broad and absolute 100% broad daylight <laughs> with duffel bags full of contraband. These were Anglo's. These were white people. These were non-Colombian people. Handed to me. It was a huge shock. Uh, I remember he was a, he was red-haired, freckled, and he was older. In military fatigues, land in a military helicopter, and have his staff unloading these duff, duffel bags, give you your code name, and fly away, and you're just standing there with your mouth open. You know at that moment that whatever happens down the line, the the law already knows. You're already busted before you're busted if you don't do it right. It wasn't a fear. It was so, had so much continuity in it. It almost basically walked you through the process, but you're not aware of things. How does a helicopter draw, not draw attention? It doesn't. It just doesn't. You just don't think what's going on really is going on. Inside the duffel bags were, were dog food bags, and they were stuffed with cargo and sealed. Okay. So, so I know that the canines had something to do with it, and the duffel bags were non-military duffel bags. They were civilian duffel bags, um, but the helicopter definitely was a, a, a Black Hawk-type helicopter, and they were in fatigues, and they were military. If it was private, they had me fooled. I doubt it, that they would actually have the military deliver it to me, knowing that that was such an indescript and unexpected situation, knowing that really, truthfully, if we ever got 
arrested for any of that, busted, if you want to call it that. How are you going to lie to the judge when the system is part of your your delivery courier that gave it to you? You're you're so you're so already wrapped up before you even got the stuff. The actual product that you're given in large amounts when it comes to the large amount transactions is the U.S. military, and it just blows your mind. Did I look in the duffel bags? Let me tell you, I did a beeline for, uh, they give you 18 hours to, to maybe 24 at the most before they start cutting your family's head off for losing their shipment. So they have that bond on your side. It's people's lives. Um, got the stuff. One thing that I was very careful about was that nobody ever opened those packages except, you know, you don't want to make sure it's fake or anything except for qualified individuals and there was never any drug use whatsoever because if there was and there was photographs being taken while driving or something, you don't know if the Colombians took the photos or the police did. Coincidences, I think once, like I said before, all, all roads will lead to organized crime. If there is one thing coming through, the other's going to come through, and the other thing's going to come through, and pretty soon your antiques and artifacts are going to come through the tunnel, and the weapons are going to go through the other end, and the drugs are going to come through that end, and kidnapped people are going to come through that end, and political refugees are going to come through. They're all, all these roads are going to intersect. So those people that are listening to this who really are involved, whether you're in the laws aspect of it or if you're uh, on the mobster side of it, you know what I'm talking about. And those people who ha have no idea, just figure it out. I mean, all these, all roads are going to lead together. They're going to intersect. Do they bump heads? Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. The passing of the baton of responsibility went from the Cali cartel to the Sandinistas and Contras. And for some reason, they started taking over everything, and they weren't easy to deal with because they weren't drug dealers and they weren't money launderers. Those people were paying for a war. And their approach to things was violent, and it was crude and rude, and I wasn't really used to it. And if you ended up in the Nicaraguans' hands, it's because the Colombians felt you weren't worthy of being part of their cartel anymore. You basically were dumped off to the low end of the street. Not that Nicaragua's the low end, it's just that Colombians didn't have a use for you anymore, and if you they're going to throw you to the dogs. These people were not drug dealers. They were not money launderers. These people were terrorists, and that's what they did. And that is it for our podcast this week. To support what the MTT does, you can access our Patreon below. Your support allows us to remain independent. But right now at the MTT, 
we need to grow our team so that we can provide more updates, interviews and information for our listeners and for workers around the world. A researcher, a writer, an editor. If you're good at finding people or any other skill that you have or want to develop with us, then take this opportunity, contact us and we will welcome you on board as we build. For news tips and to get in touch with us, email admin at marxistthinktank.org. A special thanks to music and post-production by Sean Sanchez. This podcast has been produced by Reggie Truman and I am Oscar Bastille. Thank you. <laughs>